Perfect. Hey, my name's David Vaughn. I th- I've been gone for about a month. I thought I should reintroduce myself to you. Been on my summer study break. It was awesome. And uh, I just want to say it's good to be back home. Good to be back home. You were blessed because I was here. I snuck in sometimes on some Sundays and Thursdays. You didn't see me, but I, you were blessed. We were blessed to have the guest teachers that we had and our regular teachers uh, the last month. Just awesome. Awesome. I thought Caleb Coltenbach last week hit a home run. I mean, it's unbelievable. He, he struck a mighty blow for all bald preachers everywhere. And uh, living in that tension between grace and truth in love is so profoundly true. Because this is a messy grace place here. All of us have messed up in some area of our life. That's probably why we're here. That's probably why we need Jesus And I really want to drill down on that a lot today because I want to start with an important question. It's kind of midway through the year. I've come back from the mountains of North Carolina last week, kind of a little bit fired up about something, so I hope you'll hear my heart. Uh, And you are sitting in a new place here, which is great. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. I know some of y'all are having a hard time worshiping because you're not in your regular seat. Thank you for doing that. You'll make it. We'll, We'll hold hands. We'll do it together. But here's the crucial question, because if we ever get this messed up, we're in a heap of trouble around here. Any church is. Here's the crucial question I want to begin with. In your opinion, what is the primary purpose of the church? What is the primary purpose of this church? Now, you got to get this right, because churches that get this wrong, uh, they start to decline, they start to die. They move, they move from like a movement to a monument and then become like a mausoleum. They eventually die. Companies go that way too. Businesses, families go that way when they forget what business they are in and ask, how is business? Is the purpose of our church like to worship? Because we got like some great worship. Matt did a great job leading every weekend you come, every Thursday you come. Is that like the purpose? That's good stuff. Is our purpose like to gather in uh, huddles and groups and as a congregation and study the Bible? I mean, we do that around here. It's some rich stuff. Is our purpose like to provide shoes and be for our streets and be servants and serve people through our life center and all our recovery programs? Yeah, those are all good. Is that the primary and highest purpose of the church? Let me just reveal to you the answer in case you're wondering. It is for me. I believe that the primary purpose of the church is to glorify God by reaching lost people, people who are far from him. It is to fulfill Jesus' last request, which should be our first priority, found in the end of Matthew called the Great Commission. Jesus, right before he went up to heaven, said to his disciples, Go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them, and then teach them in the way of the Lord. So notice the actions. It is to go, to make disciples, to baptize, to teach. And I unapologetically think that's the highest and best use of all the church's resources. Our mission here, if you're brand new, it's a great weekend for you to hear this. Our mission is to help people find hope in Jesus and a home in his church. It's to move out of the holy huddles that we like to congregate in as already found inside Christians move out of that holy huddle, move from anonymity into community, and go out and spread his love to other people. 
Now, the reason you're sitting in a different place today, and we ask you to do that all this month in the For My Street, and you can kind of see if you missed it, you came in late, and maybe you're in an irregular seat. You can kind of see the signs when you leave. Uh, Colerain Northgate's right over there. I'll be over there in just a second. But this is going to help you start conversations with people who maybe attend this church and live in your neighborhood. You don't even know it because you're for your street, you're for your church. So right at the beginning here, uh, and it, we don't have a lot of time, so just a few minutes, I'm going to give you a chance to stand up in a second and just talk to the person around you. Just pick somebody, uh, whether you're in your section or not. And here's two things I want you to say. Number one, I want you to tell someone next to you what street you live on in the community that you are. And I'm Northgate, I'm Colerain. Thursday night at the service, I went over to visit, and I, I am to Northgate Colerain section, and I said, hey, uh, uh, here's my address, uh, 6038 Magnolia Woods Way, and this lady said, oh, that's a new subdivision. I, I'm thinking about moving there. I said, that's great, and then later she said, I didn't know you lived there. <laughs> so I don't know if she's wanting to live in my neighborhood or not. I, I think I might have drove her out, but tell what street you live on. And then here's a little bit of a trivia I want you to guess the answer to in your little section of town. What's the one thing that we get to do on earth that you can't do in heaven? What's the one thing that we can do on earth you can't get in? Okay, I'm going to give you a little, uh, little chatter music, all right? So stand up just a second. Just be your neighbor. Tell them where you live. What's the one thing? I'm coming this way. Some of y'all are taking a long time to answer my trivia question. I'm guessing you didn't even get to that. Isn't it great to hear the hum of the church working right? I went over to my section, met some people, and I noticed that some of y'all are, are still haven't figured out where your section is. I think somebody came in from Clifton. They said, we don't have a section. We must be in the baptistry. I, I think that's what, what they said. Uh, but I'm glad you got to meet some people. If you would, just this month, kind of get in the habit of sitting right there, renew that conversation, renew those friendships, and kind of get to know some people because we're going to ask you in coming weeks to be much more intentional about being for your street. What is the thing that you can only do on earth that you can't do in heaven? Uh, did, did you discuss it? Somebody over here, somebody said, it's eat, David. I don't know. I'm praying that there's a little bit of that buffet in heaven where you won't gain any weight. Bill Frank over here said, play the bagpipes. I think that's probably true, but I don't know. Uh, All kinds of things, but here's my answer. A little bit of a trick question, but it goes with my main mission to communicate today. See, when you get to heaven, you're going to do it forever. You're going to be worshiping. You're going to be singing. You're going to be giving. You're going to be serving. You're going to sit at the feet of Jesus and get all these wonderful texts and dig down deep in the Scripture. You know what the one thing that you won't be able to do in heaven that you do on earth? Win a lost person to Jesus Christ. There will be no lost people there. So why not agree that let's just be busy doing the one thing, the only thing on earth that we can't do in heaven? So I want to talk to those of you in the room today about who we are as a church and remind you of the why. This is why we exist. If you have been coming to this church a long time, maybe the why has gotten a little stale, a little cold, a little lukewarm in your life. Maybe if you're brand new, you never knew why you existed. So, I mean, why are you here? Why didn't, after you got baptized, those of you are Christians, why didn't God just like evac you straight up to heaven when you came up out of the water? Why? Because of the Great Commission. And so we're going to talk this month about how to be better 
evangelist, and that's a scary word for a lot of people, how we can be better salt than light, and how we can interface and apply the Great Commission in compelling ways. Now, you don't have to be weird to do this stuff. We're going to talk about that today and this month. I heard about this guy uh, who was a Christian, and he wanted to win his new neighbor to Jesus. So he walked over, knocked on the door, and he said to his neighbor, Hey, he said, my name's uh, Jim. He said, uh, are you a Christian? <laughs> right, just right off the bat. His neighbor said, no, I'm a Jones. He said, uh, the Christians, they're like down the street here. No, no. He said, what I mean is, are you lost? He said, no, I just moved here, but I've been in Cincinnati all my life. I know exactly where I was. No, no. The guy said, what I mean is, are you ready for the resurrection day? And he said, well, when is it? <laughs> he said, it could be today. It could be tomorrow. He said, well, don't tell my wife. She'll want to go both days. That sounds like family fest right there. See, we want to teach you how to be clear and simple and real when you talk to people about Jesus. And what I really want to communicate is that we got to be passionate about this. we got to have a burden about this. I read an interesting quote on my summer study break. It said, the winner of souls must first be the weeper of souls. we got to have a heart for this. And if you don't have the heart to, the how-to doesn't really matter you got to have a burden that there's a real heaven, a real hell, and real people around us are going there. And therefore, I have a bias as your pastor. As long as I'm the preacher, this will be my bias. In fact, you should have this bias with whoever is standing up here communicating. A bias, I have a bias that evangelism and outreach has to have, therefore, an inordinate amount of tension and resource because of the natural gravitational pull of insider-focused ministry and church work. There's a natural gravitational pull for those of us in this room to want the church to be my, my needs, my opinions, my preference, my desires, when in reality, the church doesn't exist just for us. It exists for those who are far from God. So we have the world's greatest mission. And I'm biased to think that we have some of the world's greatest people in this room and in this church and God, we can so do this. We have this in us. This church, and I'm going to give you a little history lesson in just a minute, we're at our best when we're outward focused. We're at our worst when we're insider focused. We're at our best when we're risking and dreaming and going after lost people who are far from God. We're at our worst when we ask, what do the members want to do? We're at our best when we say, what does God want us to do with the lost people? So let me begin with this scripture, Luke chapter 14, verse 34. Here's the analogy that I want to give today. Jesus is teaching, and he says, salt is good. Now, evidently, he didn't hang out with the doctors and the medical people because they'll tell you salt is bad, although I do like salt on my cantaloupe, and I like salt on my corn on the cob. I mean, salt is good, a little bit of it. Salt is good, Jesus says. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. What is Jesus doing here? He's starting to cast the vision for what we as Christ followers ought to be all the time. He says we are to be salt. In another section, he says we're to be light. And to understand what Jesus meant by this call to be salt, you have to understand the place and the value of salt in the ancient world. Because it played a much more central, critical role in their day than our day. 
By, by the way, does anybody here know what the number one use of salt in the United States today is? Anybody know? Unfortunately, those of us who live in Ohio, especially last winter, are very aware of it. More than 51% of the salt that is produced in America is used to de-ice roads. I have come to the conclusion after 17 winters in Cincinnati that there are four distinct unique seasons in Ohio. Almost winter, winter, still winter, and road construction. This is what I've decided. <laughs> Only 8% of all salt produced in the U.S. is used as table salt. But in the ancient world, it was a much different story. People discovered there was something about salt that slowed the decay of their food. It brought their food to taste better. It was a purifying agent against bacteria. So salt became a highly prized commodity. Most of the ancient cities in Italy, including Rome, were founded on or near salt mines. Romans paid their soldiers with salt. Some of you know the Latin word for salt is the word where our word salary comes from because it was used to pay soldiers. That's where we get the expression, he or she is worth their salt. That's where that comes from. In the book Salt, A World History, I'm not making that up. There's an actual book by that name. It said this, in the ancient world, salt was one of the most common factors that provoked and financed war. So today, people go to war over oil or water rights. In ancient days, people literally went to war over salt. That's why we say today when a human being is attacked by another that he has been assaulted. That's not true. I just threw that in. <laughs> I just want to make sure you are awake and you're new. So you say, I never knew that, David. I'm so glad. <laughs> At least I tell you when I'm lying. That's just... My point is, until you understand Jesus' words here, until you understand what salt the value is, you won't understand Jesus' words. It was Plato, the famous Greek philosopher, who wrote that salt was dear to the gods. Still is. Us being Christ followers who are pure and zesty and salty is also near and dear to our God. Could I let you in on a little secret here this morning? Churches don't exist no matter what church you attend Regular, this church, whether you came from another church, here, here's a little, little insider secret. Churches don't exist just to hold services every week, as great as that is. Churches don't exist just to do wonderful programs like we do. Churches don't exist just to serve our community, which is a wonderful thing to do. Churches don't exist to gather in little Bible studies or groups, as valuable as all those things are. Why do we exist? We exist to go, win, woo, and make disciples. It's to get the salt out of the salt shaker. These programs that we do, Family Fest today, which I'm looking forward to doing, for our street, all the life center, all the community service, all that is not the end result. It's a means to the end. It's to go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We cannot just gather in this room as a collection of salt. We must be used we must distribute ourselves. We've got to be spread out. Salt accumulated is salt wasted. So everything we do is a means to an end to go and make disciples and baptize them and then teach them. And all too often what we find in churches across America and the world is rather than standing on the promises, they're sitting on the premises. And we've got to get out and we've got to get going to permeate a dying and lost world that is spiraling toward death and destruction.
I mean, come on. Were you not saddened, alert, and grieved by these shootings in El Paso, shootings in just Dayton early this morning? Our world is a wreck, and Jesus is the only thing that can cure that. You got access, you got knowledge to the best thing that's ever going to happen to somebody, and you can't sit and be selfish with that. You might be the only salt in your family. You might be the only salt in your workplace. You might be the only salt on your street. You might be the only salt in your family, the only Christian some will ever know. Yay, God. So we are passionate about not just gathering an audience, but scattering. Not just coming together as a holy huddle community, but unleashing our church to go and be the church because Jesus didn't come and die just so we could attend church. He came so he could give us hope and love and truth and grace and us to be salt in our community and in our cubicles and in our companies and in our classrooms. All the things we do have to have that as an end goal or we're going to be in trouble. I want to remind you of the why. Now, this is so important because we do events well here, but this daily lifestyle of salt shaker living is exactly what God has called us to do, and it's what we're going to train you to do over the next month here, how to be an inviter, how to be four-year street, how to love where you live and where you walk. What we're trying to follow is Colossians chapter 4. Notice what Paul says here. Devote yourselves to prayer, he says, being watchful, and thankful. Boy, we're not going to be the best salt. We're not going to be the best Great Commission church without prayer. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, not only on the street, but around the world, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. That's what we want to talk about, how to do it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Those who are not in the family yet. Make the most of every opportunity. Leverage it. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with what? Salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We are called to do just that, and that's what For My Street, and that's what this reminder message today is about. Now, back to Luke. Jesus has just had this little metaphor talk about salt. And he ended it by saying, whoever has ears to hear... Let him hear. Now we get to the very next verse, the start of the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. <laughs> See, not everybody wants to hear this. Not everybody wanted to hear Jesus' words because we're like, it's all about me. Oh, it's never been about you. It's about he. It's about we. It's about those on the outside. So these tax collectors who were famous and infamous, they were notorious people, Nobody liked them except Jesus. They were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, now these are the insider people. These are people who are supposed to have the truth. The salt hoarders. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. I can just hear them muttering. This man talking about Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. As if they were not sinners. One of the things that gets us in trouble, we'll talk about this next week, one of the things that gets us more in trouble inside the church is we think we're so much better than those outside the church. And guess what? We're not. I've seen some of y'all. You know, you're not. I'm not. I'm not nearly as good as I think I am. We judge other people by, you know, their actions. We judge ourselves by our intention. 
big difference. So this guy, they, they couldn't believe Jesus was welcoming these so-called outcasts, the last, the least, the lost, but they loved Jesus. And then Jesus told him this parable. This parable has stuck with me for such a long time. And on my summer study break, it just renewed my passion again for what Jesus is asking us to do, what he's asking me to do. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together. There he is, Forest Street, his neighbors, and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Notice there's joy when the lost are found. I tell you, he says, that in the same way there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In other words, Jesus is all of heaven. A cosmic celebration ensues when the one is found, not when the 99 are happy, but when the one is happy and found. See, some of us are in this 99 fold. And we have been found so long that we forgot what it's like to be lost, what it was like to be the one. Some of you are so brand new today, you're like, I'm the one. I know I'm the one. I'm like that lost one, and I'm hopeless, and I'm helpless. I'm homeless. But we in the category of the 99, we got to get that passion back to go after the one. Maybe you had it for a while, and then maybe it lost its luster or its shine or its passion for you. Driving home, driving north from North Carolina last week, I was driving and thinking about this very thing, and this is such a coincidence. <laughs> I guess it's a coincidence. You know, when God's involved, it's never coincidence. It's like providence, right? And I passed by a church, and here was the name of the church. The name of the church was the Church of the Lost and Found. Isn't that like, I, I love Whitewater Cross, but like it, that's a great name. Because that is the church for everybody, those who have been found and those who are lost. A good descriptor of the church working right. A little history lesson here, because a majority of people in this church don't know this or don't remember this, uh, because you're brand new. Uh, like you started coming when we opened up here, you know, the 12, 13 years ago. I started as the pastor of this church 17 years ago last month, well, June. And when I arrived here, there was some work to do. To be blunt with you, it was not easy. And those of us who are here who survived that season and chapter of the church can attest to this. When I arrived, the church has been slowly declining for decades. This church was called Westwood Chevy Church of Christ. They had reached their zenith back in the mid-70s, about seven, 800. But then they began to decline. And when I showed up, we were about 450 to 500 I did such a good job as a preacher, like the first couple months, we lost 100 people. <laughs> Man, I was such a good leader. But we had great elders and a great core who were able to address the unhealth in the church that got us in that trouble. And what I discerned is that they were not outward focused as they should have been. We had some great people with good hearts. We had good people with bad habits. And then be honest with you, we had some nasty people with mean hearts. I cannot tell you how hard the first five years of my life were as a preacher in this church. 
We had a few members whose only goal in life was to extort from me my joy. And they had driven off several great staff members over the years. And I just was decided I ain't going to leave. In fact, I decided to stay just to spite some people. And I'm so glad I did because I got to see the joy of an outward-focused church here. So, friend, my first job when I showed up was to focus, refocus, recalibrate on the Great Commission again, the why. Because when people lose their why, they lose their way. When churches lose their why, they lose their way. You can never, we can never forget why we're around. What turned this church around, lots of things, but passion for Jesus and for lost people is what turned it around. Running hard after the one. Not listening and not cajoling the insiders whose hearts said it's about me, but going after those for whom Jesus died. Why? Because everybody matters to God. Every person in this room today matters to God. Everybody driving down Route 128 right now past this church, they don't even know what's going on in here. They matter to God. Therefore, they should matter to you and me. Everybody driving down Delhi Pike, driving in Hidden Valley, driving in downtown Lawrenceburg, even driving up Buffalo Ridge Road on the other side of the water. Some of y'all didn't even know I knew where that was. Yes, I do. Everybody that's going to be walking into Skyline Chili here later or Wendy's or is just now walking out of the Dew Drop Inn. Yes, I know where that is too. Everybody that's still sleeping in, they matter to God. Everybody that was at Nippert Stadium for FC Cincinnati, everybody who was down at the Trump rally, <laughs> attending or protesting, they all matter to God. Every human being in the tri-state matters to God. Listen to me. You will not lock eyes with anybody tomorrow that doesn't matter to God. He sent Jesus. Think of the cosmic redemptive strides that Jesus took just to connect us back to him. You will not see anybody that doesn't have five value to God. You will not meet anybody for whom Jesus did not die. (laughs) Even Pittsburgh Pirate players, they matter to God too. (laughs) Somebody said kind (laughs) of. For a church to say, we are only going to matter and care about what matters to me. For those of us on the inside, my preference, my needs, my desires, my wants, any church that would say that is not a church I want to be a part of because it's not a church that Jesus wants to be a part of. That's not the church working right when it's all about me. Inward focus, worshiping, serving, giving, studying, all this cool stuff. That's not why Jesus put you here on planet earth. That's the church I inherited 17 years ago, and I'm not planning on returning there. Please stop asking God to take this church forward if you are in love with backward. What do Israelites do? As soon as they go into the promised land, we want to go back to Egypt. We ain't going back there. Not under my watch. And so one of the dangers of a church this size is you can kind of look around and say, oh, everything's going good. And you know what? It pretty much is. But I imperceptibly detect that we're starting to lose our why. That we're not hearing stories of radical life change like we have in certain seasons and chapters of the church. 
And we're getting back to that why I have come back from the mountain of North Carolina to say I'm recommitting my life to that one who's far from God in my family, in your family, and that one who doesn't know Jesus, who if Jesus came back today, and I'm telling you he could, is not ready, and you and I both know it. Now, there are several reasons Christians don't have an outward focus. We'll unpack that in coming weeks. But here's what I know about the secret of the early church. This is the kind of church we're supposed to be in the book of Acts. Here's it's a very simple formula. Well, it's not complicated. The theme of Acts is the prayers went up, the power came down, and the people went out. Prayers went up, power came down, people went out. That's the formula of this church when it's working right. So why do we make changes around here? Why? It's to win lost people. Why do we dream big dreams? Why do we take risks? Why do we make staff changes which can be painful to win more lost people? Why do we do multiple services at multiple times? Why do we launch Thursday night to reach more lost people? Why are we discussing or considering uh, in leadership circles the idea that maybe we should expand to other sites in our region and maybe plant some campuses over the next couple of years? Because those people are far from God and far from us. Why do we do that? Because if they can't or won't come to us by God, we're going to have to go to them. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Why do we ask you to give your time, so valuable, your talent, your treasure, why well, I ask you to take the donut challenge. I hope you're doing that. I hope you'll continue that the rest of the year. Why do we ask you to do that? Because lost people matter to God. And so just put whatever God leads you to do in those boxes or sign up on the app because everything in those blue boxes goes to helping find lost people in some way. A while back, i got to show you a picture. Our financial secretary sent me a picture of what was placed in the offering box with a note. Let me show you. This is what was in the offering box. Now, I know that giving can be painful to practice and preach. Come on. <laughs> but if that's the best you got, great. We need a little bit more than the cream. I don't know how that got in there. But I love it that people are giving whatever they have. A pastor, megachurch pastor buddy of mine had a bag of marijuana in their offering box. That's the church working right. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> what is the population within 10 miles of this church? You might want to fathom a guess. 20, 30-minute drive. We did some demographic research. You ready for this? 301,000 people. That 301,000. Just within that short amount of time, that circle. Do you not think that we could claim in faith and ask God to reach 1% or 2% of that population? Is not the wonderful talent and resource here able to be leveraged to do that when we have an outward-focused life? We can. Imagine a church where everybody in this church is the chaplain of their neighborhood and for their street. They play on their street. They pray on their street. They stay on their street. They serve their street. Imagine what great commission power could be unleashed if all that happened, if we gathered, which we do, and then we scatter. I mean, that DNA is in our church, and we just got to keep that revived. And friend, I just believe with all my heart you have this in you. You have this in you. 
So would you pray about that? And this whole month, we're just going to talk about that, about being salt, about being light, about, about being Jesus. It's the what and the why. Any of y'all used to watch or like the Simpsons uh, TV show? I know you're much too spiritual to admit it uh, when you did. But there was a great one with Homer Simpson. He was reading the Bible uh, to his family, to his kids. And he had a classic line that went with that show and that picture, that episode. He said this, everyone in this book is a mess except this one guy, Homer said. And that is so true. Everybody in this place, this church, this community, this world is a mess except this one guy. Who's the one guy? Jesus. Jesus. He's the one guy we're investing and inviting and trying to get people involved with. He's the one guy worth giving your time, your talent, your treasure for. He's the one guy that can take you from this earth to the next. He's the one guy. He's your Savior. It's not a political figure. It's not the White House. It's not the schoolhouse. It's not the business house. It's God's house that has the message that gets us to the next world. And I'm a little fired up about it. I hope you are too. So for the next couple weeks, I'm just going to be here and we're going to talk about that. We're going to teach about that. And in case you haven't been told lately and you're brand new and you did all that stuff last night I was talking and teasing people about, could I just say this to you? You matter to this guy too. And God's grace is so much greater than our disgrace. And friend, we got to get back to where the infamous and the notorious and those who are far from God are hearing in our presence, not only here, but in our houses and on our streets and in our apartments and in our cubicles and our classrooms and our companies and our communities. And that's what for our community, for your street, is all about. Well... That's all I got to say about that. And uh, if you want some prayer, we got some folks down front. If you want, uh, you're brand new, again, we'd love to ha- meet you. Jericho will be over there with a gift. If you are led to give anything in those blue boxes today for the lost and the found, we encourage you to do that. Uh, take one of those shoe cards and help someone, again, pave the way for a conversation about Christ. And I. Most of all, I just pray that this would burn inside of you in your heart this week and you would start to think about what it means for me to be stronger salt and brighter light because there was a person named Jesus, the light of the world, who came to this earth and he died on a cross for you and me, but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected. That's like the greatest news all. And if he got out of his grave, he can get you out of your grave. And that's why this church is about what Jesus wants, not what we as insiders want. It's his church, folks. When you die and come back from the grave, you can start a church and we'll follow you. (laughs) But until that happens, we're going to follow that man who made that happen. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this day. I pray this message from my heart has been effective, efficient, toward evangelism and to, Father, help recalibrate our, 
our minds, our resources around that one that's far from you. May we as the 99 be committed to go after the one. And we give you glory for what you're doing in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, again, thanks for joining us online today. You'll see links in the notes or the comments section to be able to let us know who you are if you're newer around here and to give generously online if you call Whitewater home. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.